You are listening to the Mom Halo Podcast. This sweet ear candy will serve up laughs and aha moments as we talk to best-in-class thought leaders. These folks are dropping gems of genius. I'm Melana Kapitz, CEO and founder of the Mom Halo community. I'm a fun, fearless, freckled mom with three wild kiddos. I love to introduce you to ideas and people that will rock your world all while laughing out loud because that is the only way to get through the daily grind of parenthood. Plug in your earphones and let's get to them. The Fuzzy Sprout is the next revolution in baby bath towels. No more juggling your baby and your towel, clamping your towel under your chin, or getting wet while you lift your little one from the bath. Their 100% organic cotton, uniquely designed wearable baby towels are perfect for babies of all ages. Their towels snap around your neck so that both your hands are free to pick up your baby from the tub. Plus, they can be used multiple ways depending on your little one's age and size. You stay dry and they are wrapped up in seconds. This is the only baby towel you'll ever need for your growing little one. Use code MOMHALO for 15% off your purchase on their website at www.thefuzzysprout.com until May 1st, 2022. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Mom Halo podcast. And this is where we bring you the best and brightest experts from a variety of subject matters that are relevant to moms and dads. Um, and anyone in between, actually. I'd like to welcome our guest today. We have Natasha Pennycook, who is a psychotherapist and a consultant, and she specializes in mental health. So welcome, Natasha. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Alana. This is amazing. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here. Why don't you tell everybody who you are, what you do, and where you're from? Let's kick yeah, it off. Yeah, like of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hello, everybody. I am Natasha Pennycook. I am an award-winning psychotherapist. I am a speaker, international speaker. I'm a workshop facilitator. I am a clinical consultant. I work here in the GTA Toronto area. And what I do with my team of clinicians, I have to definitely put that out there. I have a team of clinicians at Natasha Pennycook Psychotherapy, and we are really working to change the face of mental health and psychotherapy on a global scale. And what that means is that, you know, as, as myself as a Black woman and other racialized folks and marginalized individuals, a lot of times it's really hard to access mental health care and mental health services that are that are that look at racial trauma, that look at all of the various systemic and, and colonial pieces and stuff that impact us as, as people, right? And that includes um us as women, as moms, as fathers, as caregivers, all of these stuff that, that are part of that. Also, big thing of what I do, I do a lot of diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging work with different uh, workspaces and corporations, just so corporations can really start looking at how their employees are functioning on a day-to-day, as well as part of the organization, um, part of the culture of the organization, trying to change things around so that we can all be in spaces where we where we fit in and where we belong and where we really feel there's space for us. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Nutshell, <laughs> the award-winning, no big deal. <laughs> Natasha, I think you're brilliant. I've been following your content for a long time. When somebody is calling Natasha Pennycook right now and and co. Um, what's the biggest thing you're facing right now? What is the challenge that you're hearing? Would you say top three issues that are coming up for your client? Yeah, that's a good one as well. So top three, people are struggling with 
their anxieties. I have a lot of people reaching out lately for imposter syndrome, like, you know, COVID, we're, we're still, we're, what are we, almost year three, starting year three of COVID. People are in the space where they want to make a move, whether it's a pivot, whether it's going into something, whether it's they're leaving their jobs, so they're feeling a lot of this imposter syndrome, the anxieties, the worries, the fears, the self-doubts of imposter syndrome. So people are re- reaching out for help with that. Um, I also have people reach out for experiences of childhood trauma that are starting to pop and rear their ugly head and causing a lot of the symptoms that cause depression. So the isolation, the withdrawal, the loneliness, maybe a lot of fear as well. So that's popping up as well. I also have people going through a lot of grief and loss during COVID. So whether it's, you know, changes in a relationship, ending of a relationship, issues within a relationship, or on the other side of grief and loss, um, losing a loved one and not being there. Right. I mean, COVID has isolated all of us. Yes. And a lot of us have not been able to be around loved ones. And it, it being whether a loved one is not well or suddenly passes, a lot of people are struggling with with that, right? Not being able to celebrate in community, whether the ending of life or doing all the ritual things that come along with death, right? So these are the top three that people are really reaching out. People are really struggling. Yeah. I think it's brutal, like by every account. Have you in your clinical practice or in your personal life ever, is your practice ever been busier? No, no, no. My practice has never been busier. It's interesting that I incorporated in last year, 2021. And since doing that, and well, first of all, the reason why I was doing that, I had a long waiting list for people wanting to work exclusively with me. I've had people waiting on my waiting list for up to a year even though I said, you know, I don't have space. I can refer you. And people have been, no, I really want to work with you. I will wait. And people have done that. But like during COVID, it's recognizing we all are in a mental health crisis. So it was during that time last year, 2021, where I said, you know what? Let me suss out the best and the brightest in the field to get them on my team. And so we could, we could help more people, essentially. We could build more community and help more people. And that's exactly what I've done. I have I have a team of five right now, which is super excited. Yeah. So um, yeah, I have a team of five. I have registered psychotherapists as well as registered social workers on my team. Um, Yeah. I'm really excited. Great team. Great team. All women at the moment. Um, Individuals who identify as women. And yeah, we've never been busier. I think just last week alone, we had, I think we had like 20 people reach out just last week. Right. And if you think about here in Ontario, it coincides with this new lockdown. Yeah, I I believe that. I completely believe that, Natasha. And I find what's interesting about sort of the lived experience of everybody right now is like, um, maybe this is sort of a blessing. And the blessing is, as far as I'm concerned, Mm -hmm. is mental health has sort of been an elephant in the room for a long time. Bell, let's talk. And it's sort of like, meh, whatever. But when you're experiencing mental health, you're like, oh, fuck, this is mental. I'm struggling. I mean, I will confess right here for the first time in my life, I have done talk therapy this year for the first time. I'm 38 years old. At first time I did talk therapy, um, mine was like capital T trauma off of my sort of experiences with my son Mm. post-operative. My son had had some near-death experiences. So, um, you know, really, really doing some grief counseling there. And um, that was the first time I've ever done anything like that. And in motherhood, it's the first time ever, um, and I talk about this publicly, that I'm taking a, a prescription medication for coping. Like I've never mm-hmm. done that before. So, 
um, I'm publicly talking about those sorts of things because it's a new reality for me. And I think certain people who, you know, check on your strong friends, that sort of Uh analogy. Um, Uh I have all sorts of strength, but I'm, 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 my tea is, I have nothing left in my tank for COVID. Yes. You know, talk therapy is great. Medication is great. And I think maybe that, what do you think? Do you think the silver lining has been here just sort of this blowing the lid off of mental health? Do you think that's been a moment? Well, you know what, before I say that, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's so important for we as, as the strong ones to come out and say, yeah, I, I'm on medication to help me cope. I've accessed therapy. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm an award-winning psychotherapist and I have a therapist. So it's so important, especially as we, as the, the fixers, the moms, the ones that are always being the ones that are navigating people through that we have to stop and say, you know what? The only way that I can continue being the strong one is to say, hey, I need help as well. And that's something that I've been talking more and more openly about saying, I need help and it's okay. Let's take the stigma out of that. And I think that you are right with COVID, all that, what has happened, kind of that silver lining is people are reaching out and saying, hey, I need mental health support because this is hard, right? We are not meant as people to do all of this on our own. We are not meant to be isolated and, and hiding away from those who are our main support systems and our loved ones and the people that keep us going. So of course, this has been hard for all of us. Hands down, I literally do not know any therapists even right now who are not looking for their own therapist because this is hard. People are reaching out. This is like the first time I think in my career in, in the 10 plus 12 years plus I've been doing this, that been in the situation, but really been doing, how do we say this? Really been in the situation, helping people navigate while the same time I'm trying to navigate, right? Trying to, yeah. Like the first time, like, you know, people have been talking about what it's like to homeschool. This was like, this last couple of weeks was the first time having to homeschool my little one. And I was like, what in the world is this? What is going on? You know? So it's the first time having to navigate the same things that my clients are coming to me for. And it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, people I've spoken to who are maybe in the same credo of work as you, the one thing I've heard is that we've had sort of this COVID pandemic, but we're entering really now a mental health pandemic. Can you, can you address that? Yeah, I agree. We are in this mental health pandemic. And I have said from the beginning of COVID from the what, what year was it? 20, I guess it was 2020, March, 2020. 2020. Yeah. Right. I was saying, you know, people were saying, okay, here in Ontario, we were locked down for three weeks. And then it went to uh, a couple of months and then the summer rolled around all that. I kept saying from that for summer that, okay, we're in this now, but we haven't yet started to see the mental health impacts of COVID. And we are seeing them now, right? We are seeing them now. And I still don't think we've seen it full blown. Because we're in it, right? Yeah. I mean, life is still happening. Life is still still going on over these last two years, going into three years. And we still have to navigate and we still have to deal with all of it yeah. while while going through this, right? So yes, I don't think, I don't think yet we've seen all of it. And I think that this is a time for people to really reach out and get the help and get the support that, yeah. that we need. I love that so much. And I want to go back to, I just want to circle back to something that I thought you said earlier that was super relevant. Um, you know, during, during the height of the pandemic, um, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, um, we see this uh, 
um, moment where Black lives and Black narrative sort of take center stage. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know from your experience, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the middle of the pandemic and we're seeing all of a sudden a narrative around um, racialized women and um, um, coming, coming to the forefront in a way we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Can you just describe a bit about what that was like for you as, as a Black woman existing yeah. in Black who is like, you're, you're a very public person. You have a persona. I'm just curious to know from you, like, seriously, from your heart, like, what was that moment yeah. like for you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, all honesty, that moment was exhausting. Okay. That moment was exhausting because it was a lot of non-Black folks, a lot of non-racialized folks who were like, oh my goodness, this is new. We've never heard this before. Right. Is this actually what happens? Can we, has this happened to you? Can you share your story? That has been exhausting because it's been way before George Floyd's murder. Right. It's been a lot of doing the work, right? I remember going through, and this was just recent, looking at one of my undergrad, my first undergrad projects, which was, okay, I'm going to date myself here, to probably 2003 three or four, something like that. Okay, we're the and same I was, vintage. I was there. Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I, okay. I'm 39. So yeah, yeah we're, in the same, we're in the same, we're in the same boat. So yeah. I'm looking back and I was like, something that I wrote back then was talking about discrimination and prejudice, right? right? So this is not new. People, right. myself, way before myself right. have been talking about all of this. So it became exhausting during the height of pandemic around George Floyd's murder because it was like, we've been talking about this for years, for decades, for, for, for centuries. And for some individual to say, Oh my goodness, this is new. That has been exhausting. And it, for it to be, you know, it's, and I, I said this to a couple of other friends, it took, it took a black man being killed publicly. Yeah. For some people to say, Oh my goodness, this is a thing. Right. When a lot of like myself and other black folk and other racialized individuals have been talking about all of the systemic racism and the racial trauma that has been happening. So, so it was exhausting. It was exhausting to be in the position. It was exhausting to think that, you know, what was really exhausting was thinking that I have a son Yeah, and what, what one day may happen right to him right? Right. Whether it's now when he's small in the schoolyard or how he's going to be perceived by people or teachers or all of these things. So it became very real for me, not only from the work that I do, from the platforms that I speak on to the clients that I work with, but very personal. Yeah. I I love that. Thank you for sharing, Natasha. I really appreciate you honestly answering that. I mean, I feel like I have, I'm a Jewish woman, so I feel like I understand some being a little bit different. I pass because I live in a white body and I exist in a white body. And if you don't know that I'm Jewish, I don't, I don't wear a Star of David. I don't talk about my Jewishness all the time, but I've been in moments before where I have felt anti-Semitism. I've been in mm-hmm. moments where I feel uncomfortable. And, um, and I think for me, I have a degree in women's studies. So I've always been like pretty aware of what it like. Um, otherness and passing and sort of the BIPOC experience, indigenous rights. It's it's part of my ethos of where I came from. But I have to tell you, as a white woman on a white platform with a predominantly white following mm-hmm. in, in May of 2020, I was like, holy fuck, like I got to do something. So I, I appreciate the fact that you, some of your work is around this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you sort of said in the beginning, you do do some education. What, what do those moments look like? Like when somebody comes to you, is that an awkward conversation? Are they saying like, Hey, can you teach a bunch of white folk about like, like not to be racist? Like, what does the conversation look like? Like what if someone comes to you and they're like, school me, what are they saying? Right. saying right. I want to become woke. Is that language even that's jarring. I mean, it's also jarring for a lot of people. So can you yeah. just speak to that? Do you mind? Yeah, no, I don't mind at all. It's interesting because there have been such a big push, right, for DEI, diversity, inclusion, equity stuff. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people adding belonging there as well, which I think is very important. So one of the first things when people reach out to me, my question now is, what is this for? And the reason why that is one of my questions is you've, we've seen a lot of um, performance, right? Right. We've seen a lot of performance where people are like, yes, okay. Corporations have been like, yes, we want to do this. We want to do this work. We're going to get someone in, we're going to get someone in to talk about this and have the meetings and all of that. But my question, what is this for? And what is your plan to continue? Right. Because this is not just a one and done kind of thing. Right right? Like me being in my black body is not a one and done thing. This is an always and forever thing. Yes. And the course. thing is there are employees who are in the same boat. So if you have like someone in the organization, right. And okay. Maybe I want to pause for a sec. Cause even looking at the organizational structure, a lot of times, right. You have people who are in manager, director, leadership roles who may not be racialized folks. Mm-hmm. And then you have individuals who may be more front facing who may be in the um, racialized folks. Mm -hmm. So then when you start looking at these organizational structures, the leadership, a lot of times are calling us consultants in or workshop facilitators like myself in who is this geared towards? Yeah. Is this only for the black bodies, the racialized bodies, the marginalized bodies, or is it really for the upper echelon leadership that a lot of times are not racialized folks, right? right? So it's looking where in the system does the change need to take place? And maybe it needs to take place on both areas, but you have to look at it. If it's, if it's individuals who are primarily in white bodies, who are at the, who are at the table to make decisions, where are their biases going? How yeah. did their biases change the shape of the organization? Is it a performative act because everyone is doing it? Or is it like we really want to make a policy, a system to change in the organization? And that's where I can come in, right. right? To be able to say, hey, let me help you look at what's happening in the organization. Who is helping to make these decisions? What mindsets are there? What people are being attracted? What barriers are maybe in place that maybe some people may not even recognize that the barriers from allowing individuals who may be racialized to move up throughout the company's echelons and ladders and leadership team? I love it. I th- Also, you said something earlier in sort of your intro as well, which took pause for me and always does. When we talk about access to mental health and um, BIPOC folk who perhaps don't have access or have never thought about these things, would you say your client base um, exists of people who, who are of diverse backgrounds? Or do you think people are coming to you because as a Black woman, you can understand a Black woman's plight experience? Yeah, I think it's both. Okay. The majority, I will be open and honest, the majority of my clients are Black women. I yeah. do have a lot of Black men as well. Um, I do have people of various uh, backgrounds and ethnicities who come yeah. and work with me. I have, and also age groups, right? One of my one of my longest standing clients is a older white woman that we've been working together for, for a while now. So mm-hmm. like I work with everyone. 
But right. I feel like a lot of times we do get um, a black individual or even someone who might have intersectionality, right? Have have various identities, right. um, yes. whether it whether it's culture or ethnic or ethnic or religious or or um, sexual identities who are coming in saying, you know what, I wanted to come in because I want to know that I'm not spending my money to explain who I am and how it's like living in my body. I love that. I think that's so important. And I'm so happy to have you on this platform because of your mental health expertise, also because of all these other experiences that make us who we are. Let's talk about identity for an interesting yeah. moment because identity is having a moment. It doesn't matter what your cross-section is. Mm-hmm. Sexuality, you know, we're talking about, my husband and I were just having a conversation that we are a three-kid you know, man, woman, you know, heterosexual couple. And we were talking about the rise of the pronoun. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're talking about our kids and we have two, two cisgender males and one female. And we were talking about if any of them decided to um, um, tell us or share with us or decide that they are not that's not the body that they want to exist in and how we would cope with that. Um, And not that I'm trying to be an extreme futurist, but I think I had to mentally prepare myself that we're entering a dot for me, a dawn of a new era for many of us where like, you know, I'm totally grew up with GLBTQ community. So many of my friends and family members are, are part of that community. And I grew up understanding um, what that means very, very closely to my heart. Um, if our kids decide that they are a different gender, if they decide that they are not, they identify as um, somewhere um, in the they, them category, or mm. um, they feel, you know, they're, they're non-binary at all. Um, that's something I'm grappling with. Do you see other parents are um, thinking about these sorts of things in your conversations? And now a word from our mom, Halo podcast sponsor. Who needs superheroes when we have moms? Kids and Company is Canada's leading provider of childcare with over 100 locations across the country and in the United States. They're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year. And with 20 years of experience in the childcare space comes a ton of innovation in how they cater to their families. They have in-classroom webcams, an app that provides daily updates for parents, a from-scratch menu, and wonderful high-quality educators. These are just a few of the amazing things about Kids and Company. My daughter attends one of their centers and I can vouch for how incredible they are, far beyond others we've attended. They're offering families who register and start care by July 31st, 2022, a waived registration fee. That applies to new registrations only. Call their team at one eight zero zero my kidco and use the code MOMHALO to register for this offer. You won't regret it. Still dealing with leaky diapers? It's time to try Rascal and Friends. Designed with you and your little one in mind, Rascal and Friends Premium Diapers ticks all the boxes. Affordable, safe on sensitive skin, deliciously soft and super absorbent. Plus, their unique design provides up to 12 hours of leak production to keep your baby comfy and dry day and night. Join the thousands of parents making the switch and say goodbye to leaks. Shop Roscoe and Friends premium diapers, training pants, and sensitive wipes at Walmart today. I feel like these are conversations that more of us in our in our generational cohort are going to have. It's interesting because, you know, working with different individuals, working with working with um, different parents, it's that a lot of times we're getting 
kind of like how you were saying, like trying to grapple with and understand, or maybe one parent is more open and one parent is not. So that becomes kind of a little bit of a riff there. But I think these are questions that we are going to really, really be more open to having, right? Like, yeah, these are things that in our day and age, in terms of identity, it's yeah. how does I, ide- what is identity? How does it form? Who yes. gets to choose? Correct. I think that's the biggest the choice. Thing, right? The choice is the question, it's right? It's the yeah. choice. It's the choice. That's the question. Who gets to make the choice? And who is telling their story and their narrative around that choice? And I think that's where identity has always lied around choice. Whose choice is it? And I think that once we start to empower our little ones to make choices that fall in the line of this is who I am, then we can be in a place where, okay, I've taught them this. This is how now they are expressing themselves. How can I now be okay with the choice that they have made, even though it's different from the choices I have made? Correct. I love that. I think that's a really important point. We have to understand that choices also comes from privilege, right? Like not everyone has the choice to do anything. I think about that so much. And I think about a lot of um, mental health issues of people right now during COVID and so much of those people who have to go to work right now or get on a bus, it's a racialized experience, right? Yes. It's yes. doing a lot of women that I know and men that I know are doing jobs that are, you know, considered to be their racialized jobs, right? They're custodial, their transportation, they have no choice, right? There, right. There's so much socioeconomic um, yes. um, crossroads that are intersecting yes. right now Yes, during COVID. Yes. And it, it really is bringing to light so many of these conversations. And for a lot of people, it's, we're seeing a dawn of a new day. And I think, I don't say that lightly. I I really do believe that we're having tough conversations and people are taking really hard, good looks in the mirror. And I think a lot of my friends who are, 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 are black or uh, BIPOC are also looking in the mirror being like, holy shit, I haven't really had to think about this stuff. Yeah. in a long time or maybe in their generation they're not like really reading or learning about this stuff and all of a sudden their identities are changing and shifting being like mm-hmm. I am a, a strong black woman and I don't why am I diminishing myself in my workplace I don't want to work there if they can't handle who I am right uh-huh. that's what I'm seeing too a bit right is yeah. light bulbs people are having aha moments are you seeing right. that in your work it's interesting because and I like I really really appreciate um this topic of conversation because during COVID, that's something that I've seen. I actually said this the other day to my assistant that COVID has, has so many systemic factors around it, right? Because we hear a lot of people talking about like, okay, yeah, celebrate the frontline workers, but really who are the frontline workers? Who are the bus drivers, the grocery store workers, the, the nurses, the, um, the personal support workers? A lot of times they are Black and other racialized uh, folks, right? So it's really looking at like, these individuals are the ones that are essentially keeping things rolling and running, then what is really happening? Is it that the the economy is still going on the backs of black and racialized people, which has been something that that's the question, right? How does that change from 400 years ago? And that's the question, right? And the difference is like, if you, if somebody needs to really is living in, 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 maybe in a lower socioeconomic status or mm-hmm. it's a difference of feeding their kids or making their rent. Mm-hmm. You have to go to work. You have to exactly. fucking go to work. You don't you have, have choice. We're talking about that have choice moment again, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's one of those things like, okay, the choice is to not go to work, not feed my family, not be able to keep the lights on a roof or the head or, or warm in this like minus 30 something weather. 
or do go to work and the possibility of getting sick from COVID. Right. Right. And what we've also seen, like the hotspots throughout the GTA that have had larger spikes, but also from communities who have multi-generational households. Right. Right. So it's really recognizing what is actually happening during this pandemic. I'm going to be so curious to me to see the papers that come out on the other side of this. And I remember saying to my husband, I've been looking back through some content that I made in the early 2020s at the beginning of COVID on day seven and on day 10. And I was like, oh, you know, getting a hoot after stuff we made. I was like, this is not going to last years. My husband's like the the travel agents um, industry saying it won't be really normal till 2024. And he said that in 2020. And I was like, there's no fucking way this is going to last as long as it happens. <laughs> And here we are, right? Like here we are, twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty two. Okay, let's switch let's switch gears a bit to motherhood yeah. because that's really yes. our core audience. Yes. What is I see also, um, you know, you can speak to your experience. The motherhood plight right now, the 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 burden on moms is so real. What are Very the, real. what's the chief complaint you're seeing from parents if it's different from your other clients? Yeah, it's interesting because this is definitely a place where I put my professional as well as personal. What I'm seeing, I'll share my personal. What I'm seeing for me as on, on a personal level, right? Yes. Of course, it's impacted by professional because there's a larger demand now in mental health. And now I have a team that I'm managing. And on top of that, it's I have this little person to take care of and make sure his mental health is okay as well, right? So yeah. there is, like even today getting ready, it's the, okay, go brush your teeth. Okay, breakfast is there. Okay, you're going to go sit with daddy. Okay, right? So it's like making sure mom's having to do I mean, we always, we do the multitasking, but it's like amped up to another level. It's like, I got to be here. I have to go do this. I have to make sure everything's, so it's a lot. I feel like it's a lot of pressure on moms, especially working moms, especially a lot of the moms in, in mom halo, right? Where we are, we have our businesses, we're entrepreneurs. Sometimes we're, we're still working on nine to fives and taking care of the children. And sometimes also being caregivers to other family members. So it's a lot. It's a lot. And I'm seeing that also resonate throughout my practice as well as throughout with uh, with colleagues, with French friends, colleagues is trying to figure out how do I how do I have that balance? Right. How do I do everything? And the, the big, I guess, aha answer to that question is being able to suss out time for everything. But that is hard. And then also having to support. And I think that's something that I've seen from a professional and personal level throughout this pandemic as a mom, as a, as a business owner, is how do I really reach out for help? How do I get the support for the places I need? Because this is hard. This is hard. Oh, I'm talking and I'm muted. Um, <laughs> it is hard. I I see a lot of parents right now who are, the burnout is, is the word I would use. Yes, and yes the maternal mental load is huge. Yes. And those are yes. the two things I see keep coming up and women looking for strategies to cope. And yeah. I think there was sort of the beginning of COVID was sort of like, and I, it's really interesting, actually. I find it was like this mommy wine culture thing, right? We're like, wine is my medicine or baking is my medicine. And then a lot of people actually started exploring, I think more and experimenting with like um, cannabis products. I saw like uh-huh. an explosion in 2021 right. of moms who haven't touched weed or done anything since they were 14 and had a bad trip or something. And now they're in their twenties and thirties. And they're like, you know, I, I got to do something to mellow myself out. To manage. To manage. And now I'm seeing this sort of like, okay, let's get real. I need a therapist. We need the meds. Like, I've tried all these other coping mechanisms and they're not necessarily working. So people are going towards more traditional things. And then I'm seeing some other people going um, even a step further to some 
um, psychedelics. I'm seeing a lot of people mm-hmm. not doing the mushroom trips or the guided. Right. Um, yeah, the guided um, things. Not hallucinations, but the high. Yeah, the the guided hallucinations yeah. to be able to to uh, access the places of trauma and right and those kind of things. Yes, so, I think that I wanted to men- um how you mentioned about the burnout and the maternal load because I think that's 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 really <laughs> it's really heavy, <laughs> but it's real it's really real. Mm-hmm. And I think that one thing that you know. Um, moms or other caregivers accessing therapy helps to say, this is my space, right? This is my space. And I think that is what's happening throughout COVID. What's happening uh, with mothers or other caregivers is that the space is gone, right? The space is gone, whether we have our children at home, whether we decide to do online school or maybe homeschooling, everyone being in the space, the space is gone. The space to have a little bit of mental clarity, a little bit of like mental space where I'm like, I don't have to care for someone right now. There's no one depending on me right now. I can just use this time to take care of me. That is what I have noticed. That is what I have seen where the burnout comes in. It's too much. So funny you should say that. That resonates so deeply with me. And I think maybe for so many parents who have grade school kids like myself, like um, having kids home for nearly six weeks, that's what it nearly was, six weeks which is almost the same length as summer vacation for the record. I realized as like summer vacation is eight weeks and they're like, usually, you know, there's activities and stuff. Yes. And yesterday, I'm not kidding you, Natasha. It was the first time I was home in my house by myself. And I saw it sort of resonate um, this like thunder roll through a lot of the people that I follow on Instagram where yesterday was the first time for a lot of Ontario parents mm-hmm. that they were alone and just had yes. a moment to a moment to breathe. work or sit or to breathe. Yeah. And it's that yes. mental space yes. that I yes. think for a lot of parents like myself, um, my first kid is five years old. So I had him in 2016. And when I decided to grow my family and have other kids, mm-hmm. I was growing my family into what I had known as like, this is what it means to manage a family. Like we go to indoor play places when it's cold mm-hmm. and we have grandparents and mm-hmm. we go on vacation and that's like the rhythm of our life. And when that rhythm, the beat stops, Interrupted. Yeah. the beat stops, right? The mic yeah. drops, the beat stops and mm-hmm. And you don't have any of those moments. So you don't have right. any space, right? Those spaces right. and things that you had imagined for yourself. You cherish. Yes. Right, you cherish. Yes. And it's sort of the rise of the people are still having babies and they're still, mm-hmm. you know, growing their families or deciding not to, which is also mm-hmm. hard, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and having those like sort of one and done moments. Um, yeah. And so many of our families come to parenthood and there's so many roads to Rome, right? Yes. Um, you have so many families who have struggled with fertility or have had to go through um, a variety of ways of becoming a parent. Yes. Um, so it's just a really fucked up time. I'm just going to say it. It's yeah. a little bit yeah. of a fuck show, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't mind it me is. cussing. It is. Right? Okay. I do not mind. Okay. No, it is. Okay. It is. It is because this overload is, is so real. And you know, it's interesting what you said where like yesterday for a lot of people, it was like the first time I felt the same way for me. Was it yesterday? Maybe it was yesterday or, was or the it, day before. Yeah. Day before. Sorry. Right. Yeah. And the same thing. I had dropped my little one off. I had come back. I'm standing in the kitchen. I remember I had my phone, my phone's beeping. Cause I have a meeting to get to in like half an hour, but I was just standing there for a minute yeah. at the window with the sun on my face. And I'm like, I can just breathe for a second. Yeah. No one saying mama, mama, or honey, where's this? Just, I, I like, give me a second where someone yeah. doesn't need me. Yeah. Right? It's funny. 
Dr. Jessica Wasserman, who's a psychiatrist I'm obviously very close to, um, she calls me the bring me, get me. She's like, the bring me, get me has ended. Like, I can't do any more bring me, get me, you know? Yeah. Bring me this, get me this. Where are you? Come with me. Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. No, I think that's really important. How would you think in your practice when you're giving somebody some, I know psychotherapy is interesting because, um, you know, there's not sometimes a lot of listening and not necessarily giving um, strategy, but what is like the go-to strategy right now? Do you find what's like the biggest piece of advice you're giving somebody who is maybe struggling to find the space mm-hmm. in their day in their life to mm-hmm. take breath? Yeah. You know, one thing I love about psychotherapy and doing psychotherapy is the ability to help people see the patterns, right? The patterns in their behaviors that even if this is a space we've, we've never entered before in COVID and, and how do I take a moment and breath, a lot of the patterns that I'm seeing are actually have been replicated throughout their life. So it's the, this is hard. Maybe this is a, a difficult event, difficult situation. I've never been here before. There's some trauma associated with being in where I am, but the pattern has been the same throughout their life, the way to cope. So one of the big things as a therapist is helping individuals to see their pattern. And really what the advice that I then give on top of that is how can we change this pattern? Because there are aspects of, of the pattern that feel safe, but a lot of those aspects are now unhealthy for you. So a lot, a lot of what I'm doing is getting individuals to recognize the pattern and how can we start shifting for where that person currently is. A lot of times we keep doing the old stuff thinking, okay, this, I've always done this. So let me keep doing this. Yeah. But I've never been in a pandemic with a child married, right? Like that was not my life 10, 20 years ago. So why am I doing the same things that I used to do 10, 20 years ago? I freaking love that. Honestly, I find myself, obviously, and I hear about a lot from our mom community is like, yeah. they got into some really bad habits in their pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Um, and those sort of never left them, you know, like I'm guilty a croissant today. I was like, that was fine when I was pregnant. I'm like, Oh, I still eat at least a croissant today. Maybe two. Listen, chocolate chip cookies. Okay. Those <laughs> <Yeah>. farmer market <laughs> oatmeal chocolate chip cookies are my vice. Yeah, man. And they're my jam too. I love that stuff. Give me all the sweets. Look, I think it's so interesting. I, I think you're right. Like we become, um, um, shackled to the yoke of something that we think is um, us, right? Our identity yes. is somehow yes. wrapped up in yes. our tradition, our yep. ritual, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. As a Jew, I come from so much tradition and so much ritual. And I often sometimes think like, what is actual tradition and what is ritual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done some of that examination in my life before. So when I'm building my own practices. And I really love these podcast interviews because we have such brilliant women. I can't wait for you to get to know the other um, experts who are really geniuses like yourself. Um, you know, it's it's so interesting for me because I get to feel like I get to sort of examine my own um, experiences with these conversations. Um, I want to p- shift gears just in our last yeah. 20 minutes together. There was an article that was published in the Huffington Post in December of 2021. So literally less than a month ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's written by a woman named Lindsay Holmes. I'll link it in the lines. And it says, I can't self-care my way into feeling better anymore. Self-care won't fix COVID. Here's what to do when all the pandemic mental health advice feels frivolous. Mm -hmm. Based on that headline, what do you think about that? The Groundhog Day that is self-care. 
self-care. So I've always said this as a mental health professional, the way people have been talking and using self-care has been wrong. And I don't want to say problematic, but I do want to say wrong and maybe a little bit problematic. <laughs> Let's lean in. Go. It's wrong. Just right? The, and the reason why it's been a lot of the do your nails and get your hair done and the bubble baths and all that, which is great and fantastic. Listen, if I can get an extra 10 minutes in a shower, I'm taking it <laughs> without, without Legos being thrown over. I raise my like, hand too. I'll take the right? 10 minutes. I'm going to take the extra 10 minutes. Um, but also self-care is really more than that. It's how do I care for myself so that I can have the healthiest relationship and the healthiest outcome with myself, right? That's a lot of really what self-care is. So it's figuring out what do I need to do in this time that I can have the healthiest relationship with myself? What do I need? What are my support needs? What care do I need to show myself? How can I show myself and shower myself with ways that show me love? And I think as moms, I think as parents, as caregivers, we are so busy pouring into and caring for all of these little dependents around us, as well as other people around us that are, might, might be looking for our help and care. But I think a lot of times we forget to care for self. And I think, I think there's good intentions around the hair, the nails, and bubble bath, but I think it's like more, right? I think there's more to that. It's the how can I, what do I need? Yeah. What do I need? Is it that I need to get my hair done because I need some quiet time away from everybody right now to pamper myself and make sure I am groomed. Right. Cause I mean, all of us moms, we're making sure our kids are washed and have clean clothes and, and dress. But half the time we're like, Oh, it's okay. There's like, I don't know, stuff on me, toothpaste on me. That's fine. I'm going to keep going. No, it resonates so deeply with me. I find with my, just from my personal experience, I'm not great with daily ritual when it comes to any things I've ever read about self-care. To me, it was just like, it was like the, the trend du jour. You know what I mean? It wasn't really for me. I'm somebody who exists in, in, in a way that like, I value immersive times where I had to physically put my body into a extraordinarily foreign moment to feel, um, caring for myself. I know that sounds bananas. So for me, that's a really hard time for COVID. So I need to be in a vacation. I need to be in a a hot sauna. I need to be in a bath that's super hot that no one else can like scalding hot or freezing cold. Like I need to have that body moment in order to have that mental moment. Um, And I know so many of my friends who are like, you know, the 20 minute Peloton ride or the five minutes journal a day, like really has changed their mindset. So I haven't really taken a deep dive into so many of these things. I think, you know, 18 months of this past two years, I've been so busy with my son, Henry, and our story with sort of um, becoming sort of a medicalized mama that I haven't had a chance to explore all those things, but I'm always been curious. I've been like self-care curious, but when I read articles like this, I see that like, it just, we need human connection, man. We need... We need life. We need, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, the journaling is fantastic. The baths are fantastic, but we also have to figure out what works for us, right? Journaling may work really well for someone else, but not so much your jam. 
Maybe yours is more sensory, right? As you speak of like the hot water and the cold water and the saunas, it's very sensory to immerse yourself into it because recognizing that, hey, not only is it my mind that needs rest, my body needs the rest too. And I speak about this so much, the interconnection and interplay between our physical health and our mental health. They are connected, right? They're very much part and parcel of each other, as well as our, as our spiritual health and other, other pieces of our health. So it's figuring out what do I need? What do each of these pieces of me need right now? And how can I help those pieces of me get met? Maybe it is my spiritual self that needs something. Maybe it is my mental health that needs something. Maybe it's my physical health that needs something. Maybe it's all of those that need something. How do I cater to those? Figure out what I need. The journaling may may, may work so well for someone because they recognize this is my time to be connected to my spiritual self. And I'm doing something physical, like the physicality of writing in the journal, as well as my mental health, because I help myself to, to... to unwind and focus, right? It's always looking like what's that underneath intention, not only what the activity is, but what are you getting from it? What are you providing yourself? What need and support is being met by that activity? Love that. Need, what need and support is being met by that activity? Yes. I love that. I think, I digress. I think in this moment, I just had an aha moment. My journaling comes out in my content creation. Hmm. I think for me, that's sort of how I do it. My form of therapy is like, I just do so much content creation and storytelling through my variety of channels. And, you know, even this is helpful, right? Because I get to emote and share, right? And that's, and that's for me is a coping strategy for sure. Um, Let's take it home a bit, Natasha. If there's one piece of advice, if somebody were to listen to nothing else and take nothing Mm -hmm. else home today as a, as a, amazing resident scholar of the mom halo community as a guest on this podcast, as a um, psychotherapist with a booming practice, what is the one thing you want our moms to hear today that they hear nothing else? Yeah. The one thing, and I'm listening to my own advice as well is make space, make space for yourself, whatever that is for you, whether it's, you need uh, mental space, you need physical space, whether it is, you know, the five minutes in the morning before everyone wakes up just to take a breath, maybe to, you know, not having to warm your coffee or tea 10 times, right? Just to make some space for yourself because the reality is no one else is going to. Yeah. No one else is going to make that space for you. So you have to be very intentional about making space for you because the reality is if we crumble as moms, as women and business owners, everything else is going to crumble as well. So you have to make sure that you are caring for yourself as best as you can every single day, your physical health, your mental health, your nutritional health, your spiritual health, any other things that could go in there, but make sure you have some space for yourself. I love that. And I think on that note, Natasha, I'll say that if you um, check on your strong friends today and, and, Offer them that moment where, you know, I love, there was this social media audio that's going on about saying nobody's coming. I think it's such a Glennon Doyle. She's like, nobody's coming. Or maybe it's Brene Brown. She's like, nobody's coming to make sure that you do your business. You know, no one's coming to mother you. You got to sort of take care of your own situation. Um, And I think that's particularly a a feminine burden that we have to sort of Uh endure. Um, 
unfortunately, but it is something that we, that I think a lot of people who have such a maternal instinct take care of everybody else and put their needs last. And I think yes. we need to flip that paradigm a bit to be yeah. like, you know, and I've heard about, you know, it's, it's that old, um, can't pour from an empty cup or you have to put on your oxygen mask yeah. first before you yeah. can put it on somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, that stuff really can play center stage right now for so many parents. So, mm-hmm. um, wow. I feel like we just scratched the surface here. <laughs> oh yeah. We yeah. have so much more to do. <laughs> so um, if you want to, if people want to find you, what's the best channels to find you? Where are you at? Your website, Instagram, where are you at? Yes, you? all of those. So you can find me on my website, which is natashapennycook.com. You can find me on Instagram, natashapennycook.therapy. You can, on my website, if you are looking for therapy, go to my website. There's a contact page. You can write in a little blurb of like, hey, Natasha, this is what's going on. Can you please pair me with one of your fabulous therapists? Definitely, we will do so. You could reach out to my assistant at admin at natashapennycook.com. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Natasha Pennycook, as well as Facebook um, at Natasha Pennycook Therapy. I love it. It's very consistent. Natasha Pennycook everywhere. We will put it all. <laughs> we'll put it all in the show notes. I promise it will all be there. Uh, Natasha, I think you're a freaking rock star and uh, I'm super excited to have you in our community. Thank you for being so open and honest with us today. And thank you for lending your genius to our community. I think there's so much more that we can discern from you. And I look forward to putting you on more of our platforms and podiums. This has been great. Thank you for the space to have these conversations. And yeah, I'm looking forward to doing this again. Everybody, Natasha Penny Cook. Thanks for listening to the Thank you, everyone. podcast. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mom Halo podcast, I'd love your support by sharing it with others, posting about us on social, or leaving a really good rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at the Mom Halo. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Sick Kids is helping redefine what's possible in pediatrics. Also, children can lead healthier, happier lives. In 2021, Project Halo raised over $150,000 to help build a new Sick Kids, designed to better serve patients and families. This will include spaces devoted to parents and caregivers, spaces to feel calm, relief, and rest. We are calling on our community again this year to join us in helping build a state-of-the-art hospital. Together, there are no limits to what we can achieve. To learn more and to donate, go to fundraise.sickkidsfoundation.com backslash Project Mom Halo. Thank you for your generosity and support.